This presentation has been previously broadcast. Well, let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome to this Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. And I I always think, you know, uh, somebody once said to me, boy, Immaculate Conception, that must have been an easy gig. She's Our Lady of Sorrows. All these people who kind of uh, think that the Blessed Mother had a life that was a, a cakewalk, I don't think so. I mean, she, well, I, I could go on and on. I can go on and on about pretty much anything, but this is a wonderful feast. And Our Lady stood at the foot of the cross, and uh, uh, for that, we will always be grateful. All right, with that said, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the, weak, the, the snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let us open the big book on the coffee table. Though it is the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, we uh, we are continuing the letter of uh, Timothy. Um, and the gospel is particular to the feast, but today... Oops, uh, my, my computer is just... Too enthused here. It's going up and down. Ah, didn't that's take all long. right. Didn't take long. The voice of my head just said, didn't take long to mess up the computers here. All right. 1 Timothy 3.14. And the beloved here, it's not in the text. I, it always makes me crazy when they decide they got to put an introduction into the, the, the reading. I don't know why we do that in this lectionary, because it's, it changes the, the text a little. I mean, beloved. When someone reads beloved, what do they read? Well, clearly, uh, this is Timothy. He's beloved to Paul. Yeah, he's, I'm sure, very beloved to, to Paul, who's a spiritual son to him. But that's not what Paul says here. And I think it's inappropriate. So, meh. I don't know if that's going to change anything. So, take out the beloved. I am writing you, although I hope to visit you soon. But if I should be delayed... Uh, it's 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 really a, a an active verb. He's not being delayed. He's tearing. If I have to take more time, you should know how to behave in the household of God. That's a very interesting um, uh, phrase, uh, <laughs> and it's not the household of God. It's the house of God. I I, I looked up uh, behave, but I want to look it up again because of course I have. 
Um, forgotten what it was. It's an interesting word, uh, as they all are. Okay. No, it's not the word of the day. <laughs> I've got other words for the word of the day. Okay, this is... Um, here we go. Okay. The word for um, uh, you know how to behave is uh, anastrepsisthai. Anastrepsisthai. I'm sorry. Anastrepsisthai. Which, no, no. The voice in my head is asking me if it's a drug. No, it's not. Uh, it sounds like some medicine. It means to, 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 to go back and forth, to turn oneself about, uh, to live. Uh, it, 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 it's about, it's similar to walking, but it's not walking. It's, it's how to go back and forth, to conduct yourself. So I just thought you'd, you'd want to know that. I don't know why you'd want to know that, but meh. All right. The next word, the next line is, um, uh, well, let me, let me go back to that. How, how, to, to, uh, how to conduct yourself um, in the house of God, which is the church. Now, of course, this is not, he's not talking about a building. He's talking about the ecclesia. And the ecclesia, I've, I've shared with you many, many times, is the assembly. And when we think of assembly, we think of a nice um, uh, man coming in to talk to us about traffic safety, and we go to the, the school auditorium, we don't have to take the math quiz. That's this assembly. That's not what an assembly is. The closest word we have in English to assembly is jury duty. Believe it or not, it's, this was required. The word literally means those summoned, that which is summoned. And every king, every ruling junta, every dictator had an assembly of the citizens, which really consisted exclusively of free males in, in a Greek town. Um, but, uh, of course, the Christian assembly has free men and women. But... Uh, uh, this assembly, it, if you didn't go to assembly, you lost your civil rights. It's, it's, it was like jury duty. And the, the ecclesia would sometimes sit as a jury. They had juries of thousands of people, and everybody would vote. So the, the house of God is the assembly of God. In other words, those he has summoned. Uh, the assembly of the living God. And, and uh, it says that... By a position that it is the pillar and the foundation. It isn't only the thing that holds the roof up; it's also the thing that holds the pillar up, the pillar and and uh, um, foundation of of truth. And so, for people who say, "Well, the Bible is the foundation of truth," yeah, the Bible is. However, the foundation of the Bible is the church. That um, uh, the the, the the, I'm, again, old news, I've shared this with you. The way the Bible was written was, well, big problem. Uh, people are going around saying, well, I'm a prophet and you should give me all your money. And, um, you know, the wandering charismatic prophets. And then there would be the, the collections of the saying of Jesus. Well, Jesus once said we should go for all the gusto we can get. I don't think he said that. And so where are you going to go? Where are you going to find what, what Jesus really said? And so... The bishops of the church in different places sat down and said, we need an approved reading list so people can discern what God is actually saying in their hearts and minds. Uh, we need something that will teach people the vocabulary of God. I don't know if they used those words when they thought of the process, but they wanted an approved reading list, which, of course, 
was a, a cannon. That's what the word means. Not the thing shot from guns. It's from a, a Semitic word meaning a measuring rod. So uh, they sat down and they made a canon of scriptures, um, the writings you could depend on. And they principally took it from the Mass, it seems. Those readings which were being read universally. You know, there were some, like the Epistle of Barnabas that was real popular here. And there was, you know, the Book of Enoch, which was popular among, among African Christians. And then there was, you know, all these, the ones that were being read everywhere became canonical, became the measuring rod. That's how Scripture was written. St. Augustine said, if the bishops of the church did not put their authority behind Scripture, I would not believe a word of it. So the, the, the church, for Catholics, the church is the mother of the Bible. For other Christian groups, the, often the Bible is the mother of the church. Which came first? Mass was being said for 30 years before the last words of Scripture were written down. So the church is the mother of the Bible. And I think that's a very important thing to understand. And it has to be understood ecclesially, in other words, in terms of this assembly, which is the pillar and foundation, that, that um, uh, and when I say this, I, I think it's very important to understand when I talk about the universal church, I'm not talking about the church everywhere in the world. I'm talking about the church everywhere in the world and throughout history, that we are universally united with somebody who lived in 800 A.D. Back in the ancestral hometown of my uh, mother's mother's family, uh, there's this wonderful Baroque altar. It's folk Baroque, and it's it's this it's really neat. It's it's just this kind of it's it's full of whimsy. It's the the Holy Trinity. But if you go behind that, you see the medieval altar still there. This stone thing just sitting there, supporting this this fun Baroque folkloric thing that was probably made in the oh, 1600s at some point. Um, that's an important, to me, that's an important symbol, that, that we, we are related to people who lived a thousand years ago. So we don't just say, well, we're the church and we'll invent a new truth that's appropriate for our times. You can't do that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the letter section. However, um, where was I? Trying to figure out how this mouse works. Oh, well. Oh, I found it. There's, there's the mouse. <laughs> I don't like mice. They don't like me. All right. They like to disappear. <laughs> My mice have been tending to disappear. All right. Now, I want to go through this uh, uh, next next line. Oh, I, did I say, did I mention in the word, well, I think that's in the next line, 316. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, well, I think it's funny. Homologumenos. Homologumenos. With a long omega. It takes, it's something that most languages can't do, but Greek has no problem with it. It takes a verb and makes it an adverb. We can make adverbs out of adjectives, but the only way to translate this is confessedly. The word homologane means to agree. It means to agree on a, on a deep and philosophical level. There's logos in there and there's homo, which means the same. So homologumenos makes it an adverb. So agreeingly. <laughs> and agreeing. In other words, everybody admits this, that great is the mystery of piety or the mystery of godliness, mystery of, of, of being devoted to, to, to God. Yeah, that word is eusebia. Um, but the word mystery, remember, mystery doesn't, when we say mystery, 
What we mean is who done it? The butler done it. And that's not a mystery. The word mystery means a secret in Greek. It comes from the word for a thing whispered, mysterion. Thus, it is, it is plain to everyone, everyone agrees on this, that the secret of religion is, is great. And what's the secret, secret of religion? He who. In other words, Jesus is the secret of religion. You want to know how to be religious, you look at Jesus. Jesus was, was truly what we would, we would say, use the word pious. And it talks about him, and this, this, I think some scholars think this may have been a song, an early Christian hymn. Oh dear, he's going to talk about hymns. No, I'll talk about that later. Uh, so, Hos Ephanerothi, he was manifested in flesh. In other words, he was really visible. Remember, this is going to Ephesus, uh, Timothy, uh, Ephesus, and they're trying to combine Greek philosophy with, with uh, Christian piety, and they didn't go together. There were all sorts of people saying, well, Jesus uh, was not really fully human. That, that for instance, It's like a vampire. He didn't cast a shadow, and he didn't really suffer on the cross. And this is, this is not, we don't believe this. He truly suffered. He was truly born. So he was manifested in flesh. doesn't say the, in flesh. He was justified in spirit. What does that mean? Again, this is something I've shared with you a number of times. What is justice? In Hebrew, it's, uh, it's uh, tzedakah. A tzaddik is a just man. His good deeds far outweighs bad deeds. And I once said to Rabbi Lefkowitz, so God is the ultimate tzaddik. And I thought he'd told me that. He said, no, that's anthropomorphizing. You can't say that about God. But all God's just deeds are just. So he is, God is the measure of justice. I think even Rabbi Lefkowitz, may rest in peace, would agree with that. So to be justified is to be made like God, which includes, in, in Hebrew thought, includes generosity and self-control and all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It isn't just, I'll get mine and you'll get yours. That's not justice. Justice involves generosity. So he was he manifested he manifested in the flesh. He was visible in the flesh, but in spirit, he showed himself to be godly, and he was seen uh, uh, by angels. You know, the angels beheld him. He lived in that world, and he was proclaimed among Gentiles, among foreigners. These are all things, there's these lists of messianic expectations. Well, these are St. Paul's messianic expectations. Uh, he was believed on in, and they don't say in the world, just in creation. So he's this heavenly being who's, who, is, who is trusted in the creation. Uh, and he was taken up in glory. He was lifted up in glory. And the word glory in Greek is doxa. Uh, and what what it really means is the shining forth of who you really are. So uh, it, it, I, I wanted to go through that because it's a little bit complicated, but I, I think it's it's very, very beautiful. So let's let me look at the time. Ooh, let me quickly look at the at the gospel. Um, there's a long uh, uh, um, Sequence, which is an optional thing, and it's the Stabat Mater, which is just beautiful. It's a medieval, I believe it's a medieval hymn. 
So, standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. This may have been Jesus' aunt. Clopas is identified by many scholars with Cleophas, who's also identified with Alphaeus. Uh, they're all variations of the same name. Uh, well, what do you mean variations? Well, people call me Richard, Rich, Rick, all sorts of things. And, uh, well, which is it? I don't particularly care. So, um, there were variations of the name, and this was, according to tradition, a relative of Joseph. And this may be the person who Jesus met on the road to Emmaus, and, uh, his wife is in there. And there's all sorts of Marys. There's Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Everybody was Mary. It's almost as bad as the Irish. Mary Margaret, Mary Catherine, Mary Bridget. See, they loved the name Miriam. So then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. This to me is the most solid biblical evidence that Jesus was Mary's only son, that that he she had no other children, because it would have been almost contrary to law, certainly contrary to custom, uh, uh, for our Blessed Mother to live with someone who was not her, her own son. Um, so John probably was a, I, a lot of people thought in history, and I, I tend to believe it, that uh, John was a, a close relative of Jesus. And the, the other re- reading is uh, um, uh, Simeon's mother, and or, or Saint uh, Simeon, uh, the prophet, who who points out this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, to be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword shall will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Isn't it interesting how uh, uh, what you think about the Blessed Mother really does kind of reveal a lot about you, um, and it's always amazing to me that people, some people say that. Uh, well, we don't hate her, we just don't worship her. Well, they get kind of hostile. So, you know, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, as that wonderful song says. But look at our Blessed Mother, too. And, um, you know, I, I think I've shared with you again a number of times, our Blessed Mother is, in a certain sense, the incarnation of the Church. There was a time when the Church had only one member in it. The Church existed before creation, the early Christians believed. But there was a time in history when there was one person in that church, and that was the Blessed Mother. And um, as such, she really is the queen of, of saints and the queen of angels. And I believe that's why God gave her an immaculate conception, not just to give Jesus a perfect nature. He could have done that without the immaculate conception. But he wanted a holy church. And when there was only one person, that, that person had to be holy. So you look at the Blessed Mother and you see the church. I have found people who hate the Blessed Mother end up hating the Church, and people who who misunderstand the Church misunderstand the Blessed Mother. It's almost a rule of thumb, especially for the clergy. All right, I think speaking of the clergy, we should talk a little bit about mass hysteria, don't? Shouldn't we? Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Foes and foes of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air. <laughs> This was a communion song. Joni Mitchell and and, and uh, 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 Judy Collins sang it. It was, oh, one of our favorite songs. Uh, uh, give me a break. <laughs> just well, amazing. Can I ask a question? Sure. Do, do the both sides refer to the 
both sides of the communion rail? Is Maybe. That, is that the unity that, that it's, it's talking about? I, I don't know. I think it's about, it was, it probably, that must be what it was. We always thought it was about, you know, grow up. Clouds are just clouds. Quit being a romantic. That If you listen to the song, that's kind of what it's saying. But we were all very romantic about that song. Oh, give me a break. You know, now what I'm going to say is strange, but well, you're all used to that. After the Second Vatican Council, we had only one trick in our bag. The the Mass. We, you would hear things, and people still will say things like this. Father, we just put new sod into the play lawn at the preschool. Can you come over and say a Mass? What? I mean, I will never forget my first my first home mass. We we lived down the block from the church, and we could now say home masses. And my parents, being fairly pious, they said, sure, we'll host a mass. It was a great honor. And so we had mass on the dining room table. We had a chorus of four nuns sitting on the radiator. We had guitarists. We had about 50 people crammed into the house. When there's a perfectly lovely church down the block, but that was it, you know, mass on coffee tables with, with, uh, I'm not making this stuff up. We had mass on coffee tables uh, in seminary with using port. We'll get to wine later in the letters. Uh, using port and, and uh, pita bread or matzah. And I bet there were years or at least months where there wasn't a valid mass said in the seminary I attended. Well, this is going to sound odd. Mass is the source and summit of our spiritual life. But I really think that that, oh, we got to have a Mass, was a destructive form of Eucharistic piety. I, I think that's kind of important to understand. I want to read uh, um, section, nine, I think this is section 9 of Sacrosanum Concilium. The sacred liturgy does not exhaust the entire activity of the church. Before men can come to the liturgy, they must be called to faith and to conversion. How then are they to call upon him whom they have not yet believed? But how are they to believe in whom they have not yet heard? And how are they to hear if no one preaches? And how are men to preach unless they be sent? In other words, if all that's happening is Mass, oh, Father, we've got to have a Mass, that you know, just at the moment in history when we had fewer priests, we had more masses. Mass was Sunday morning, and it was tied, as I said, uh, I've said often, and we'll say again, it was tied to Sunday obligation. We had to be there. Because you see, Mass is the covenant. We make covenant with God at Mass. As he puts his flesh and blood on that altar for me and for the salvation of the world, I'm saying I will join him putting my flesh and blood on the altar, if need be, for Christ and for his bride, the church, and for the salvation of the world. We are swearing the most solemn oath when we go to Mass. We're not having an entertainment. We're not having this nice thing, this wonderful juju to consecrate the new lawn for good luck that the grass will grow without weeds in the preschool. And that's the way we started to treat it. Mass became commonplace and often st still is. We, we would say mass on coffee tables without vestments. It ceased to be the source and summit of our life as Catholics. It became, oh yeah, the go-to ceremony when we need a ceremony. You want to get somebody to say a mass. That was a huge liturgical abuse. And I think that as we talk about renewing the church and renewing the sense of piety in the mass, we don't need, now this is going to sound heretical, but we don't need more masses. 
we need fewer masses that make greater demands of the people attending them. That's my theory, that this, this is, mass is not just a source of grace. It is the covenant, and it's a very specific grace. We have benediction. We have rosaries. We have prayer meetings. We have novenas. We have uh, um, uh, retreats. We have parish missions. We have 40 hours devotion. Sing the most wonderful hymns and have a grand concert of Christian music. But make Mass what it is meant to be, Calvary Renewed. 888-914-914. And don't play this kind of music at Mass, though I really do love it. (laughs) 888-914-914. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus walked. Oh, when he walked. When Jesus walked. Goodness. Now, once again, I, I'm not quite sure where I've put most of my letters, but that's all right, because I have some in my inbox that I sent to me. <laughs> thank you, thank you, because I definitely want to talk about some things that we talked about yesterday. Um, this is, let's see here. Oh, that's one I have always, ah, let us talk about altar wine. <laughs> the voice might said I should have brought some. Uh, it's pretty sweet. I don't know that you'd like it. Um, the the um, a woman called in yesterday. Was it Maria? I think her I name. I don't remember exactly what her name was. I think it was Maria. She called in to say her priest has ceased using altar wine and has gone on to use Mogan David. I would worry yeah. about that on a number of levels. Um, Mogan David is diabetes in a bottle. Um, <laughs> I don't mind it, but uh, there are a lot of people who who can't abide the stuff. But, again, I digress. So, um, let us read from... I also got a very kind letter uh, from Father Mike, who with whom I correspond, mentioning this. Let me look at the Father Mike letter first. Where did I put Father Mike? Uh, um this is, uh, I couldn't find it in my altar wine specification instruction, but I do remember that the wine may be red or white, dry or sweet. It must be made with 100% grape with no additives. There is a limit to the amount of tannin, which is natural in an altar wine. It may have 5 to 18% alcohol content. However, most are in the lower end. Approved suppliers have the words altar wine on the label. I know the church goods supplier here in L.A. carries several brands and types. Now, so thank you for that, Father Mike. But let us go back to the one I was looking at. Uh, This is from the Code of Canon Law, paragraph 924. Tell me you're impressed. I'm quoting Canon Law. The wine that is used in the most sacred celebration of the Eucharistic sacrifice must be natural. From the fruit of the grape, pure and incorrupt, not mixed with other substances. During the celebration itself, a small quantity of water is to be mixed with it. Great. Now, why do we mix water with wine? I will explain that. We mix water with wine because in the ancient world, and I think in the book of Proverbs, it said wine that is unwatered is gluttony. Um, wine, if you drank wine unwatered, you were 
a drunkard. So uh, you would mix a little water with wine, but really more often you mixed a little wine in with the water because water was pretty awful and the wine kind of made it taste a little better. But, uh, of course, now a real wine aficionado, uh, if you put water in wine, they go, oh, my. But uh, it's, it's not a bad habit, especially if you don't want to get drunk, which is a good thing to, to uh, not want. Uh, but... Uh, the the water in wine that was mixed in wine that was the custom of both Jews and Greeks and Romans came to symbolize the uh, inseparable combination of humanity and divinity in Christ and in us, in the person of Jesus and the incarnation. Uh, um, humanity and divinity are inseparably married and there will be no divorce. So that's that custom took on a symbolic meaning. Now, let us continue with Code of Canon Law, number 924. Great care should be taken uh, so that the wine intended for the celebration of the Eucharist is well conserved and has not soured. That's why it tends to be sweet. However, the sugar put into it must be made from grapes. It is altogether forbidden to use wine of doubtful authenticity or provenance, for the Church requires certainty regarding the conditions necessary for the validity of the sacraments. No, there are no other drinks of any kind are to be admitted for any reason, as they do not constitute valid matter. Well, what does that mean? That means that if, if you are using uh, Coca-Cola for Mass or Welch's grape juice, Mass has not happened. The consecration of the bread, if the bread is wheat and water, uh, and well, what about leavening? Leaven doesn't add anything to bread. It just adds air. So, so it, it's not an additive to the bread itself. Um, the, uh, um, uh, but the, the, if you use something that isn't wine, isn't genuinely wine, well, mass doesn't happen. Mass doesn't happen. If you've been to a mass that was invalid and you didn't know it, the grace of the sacrament uh, uh, is supplied to you, but it is not that. It isn't Mass. Uh, well, that's crazy. I mean, can't the church just say, well, anything that comes under the name wine is okay? No, because you see, this is a matter of Catholicism, in other words, of universality. The drink that we use at Mass the bread that we use at Mass is the drink and the bread that Jesus used at the Last Supper. He used it uh, all his life. It was used in the temple. It has been used at every Mass. It ties together. Well, how about the Chinese? Shouldn't they consecrate rice? No, because we are tied into wheat. And wheat was not the common, common food in the ancient world. Barley was. Wheat was the bread of the rich. It was used in sacrifices. Barley bread was what you ate. So it wasn't this, this well, it's, it's European, it's, it's uh, chauvinist nonsense. The, the, this ties us, the elements of Mass tie us to the temple in Jerusalem, to the Last Supper, to the road to Emmaus, to the whole schmear. So that's why it's not just a law, it's a matter of validity. So, well, okay. Well, isn't Wogan David made with grapes? <laughs> we will go to another letter that I wrote myself. This is an article um, from, uh, uh, I think it's a blog called The Jewish Link, and it's the truth about kosher wine by David E. Y. Sarna. He's Jewish. December 8th, 2016. 
I will read. Let's see here. Why is kosher wine so sweet? Why so sweet? It turns out that the main reason for the sweetness in American kosher wines had nothing to do with tradition. It lies in the inexpensive Malaga-type grapes, including Concord grapes, typically used. Whatever sugar exists in Malaga-type grapes, including Concord, is almost entirely transformed into alcohol during the fermentation. Sugar must be added to make the wine palatable. Its alcohol content is 13%, as the wine yeast eventually consumes the sugar and turns it into alcohol. About 10 tons of sugar, and it isn't grape sugar, are typically mixed into the vats with approximately 25,000 gallons of wine. Other grapes, usually of the Vitis vinifera variety, such as Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, that's my really lousy French accent, Gamay and Merlot are used in making fine wines. Malaga-type grapes are of the Vitis Labrusca species. They are higher in acid, lower in sugar than grapes of the Vitis vinifera variety. So they add tons of sugar, tons of sugar, 10 tons of cane sugar. Uh, So it's not valid. There, the Reverend Know-It-All has spoken on one of the burning issues of the day. So, Father, if you are using interesting wine, stop. All right, I, how are we doing time-wise here? Oh, this, I, I, I got to read this. This is from John in New York. And, you know, I, I mentioned my, as I mentioned all the time, that the word for dog in Scripture is not does not appear in the section with the Syrophoenician woman. He doesn't call her a dog. He calls her a puppy. But John wrote me, and I forgot about this, that that it isn't just, uh, you know, it isn't uh, just that she's, you know, he's not calling her a dog per se, but he's, he's referring to other parables and allegories. Uh, do not give that which is holy to dogs. Uh, so... Uh, Muddled minds say Christ is calling people and dogs. Uh, neither is the case. You still wouldn't give what is holy to a puppy. So, John, thanks for that. I, I should have remembered that. But, um, you know, there's kind of a double thing. He is using a kind word to talk to her. But he's saying, is it right for me to give you what is holy? And she's saying, yes, it is, Lord. And he's saying, yes, you're right. Uh, so he doesn't, he doesn't, in no sense is he calling her a dog on no level. Uh, no matter what theologians who are currently popular say, neener, neener. All right, let us go to, uh, uh, we're going to go to uh, a break. We will come back with uh, phone calls at 888-914-9149. 888-914, no one will come back with the word of the day too. 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. Oh, taking me back to my my hippy dippy youth. Oh my! Oh, it was a strange time, the '60s. <laughs> Say that again. What? Oh, I'm sure we did. I'm sure we did. Oh, Woody! I actually know somebody who is Woody Guthrie's godson, and really? for whom Bob Dylan was his babysitter. 
Really? What oh, was yeah. Bob Dylan like as a babysitter? Uh, pretty irresponsible. The kid's aunt, well, he's my age now, but the kid's aunt came out on the porch and said, Bob Dylan, you get that boy off the motorcycle. So <laughs> Wait, but Father, didn't didn't you also but, say Joan Baez came, came no, over no, as no, well? No, 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 he knew Joan Baez. He knew Joan Baez. I, I, I've never and she was Joan very Baez. kind, you said. Oh, he said, she said he was just, she was just a sweetheart, yeah. which I've never thought of Joan Baez as a sweetheart. I enjoyed well, the music. Well, here we are. for everything. Ah, we're talking about the 60s again. <sighs> Let us go to the word of the day. Was a bit of a hippie. I've changed. All right, Luke two thirty-five. Um, let's see. Where's the actual text of Mass? We read uh, that that a sword will pierce the Blessed Mother's heart, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's interesting. And the so the word is a uh, a uh, 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 That's the kind of sword. And if I can pull it up, it's a uh, it's a um, it's basically a, 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 a sword used for battle. It's it's a scimitar. It's it's a, it's a really big, yeah, dangerous sword, and, and used. Uh, <clears throat> it's a large sword <clears throat> used for war. Rumfaya. Uh, 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 so um, it's a real sword, and and you know this this big sword is gonna. Uh, pierce her her heart through, and the word isn't heart here; it's psychein. It will pierce her soul. Isn't that interesting? Uh, what do they say in the text? They say um, uh, a sword in you yourself. A sword will pierce. It says a sword will pierce your psyche, which is your soul, um, not her spirit, but her her psyche. Um, I don't know why they never translate it. They say, a sword will pierce your heart. No, a sword will pierce your soul. Uh, this went all the way in, as it were. So uh, let me let me, let me me pull this up again. Where would I go? Okay. Um, no, that's not where I put it. Okay. Oh, Luke 2.35. I got it. Um, so that uh, the... the, the Oh, this is another hard word to translate. Dialogismoi, the 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 arguments, the uh, uh, you know the thoughts of many. No, this is this is a calculation, a reasoning. A dialogismo is a thinking through. It again has that word logos, which has to do with philosophy. And the word I want to say nominally is the word of the day is uh, uh, the idea of the the, the the these dialogismoi, these these arguings. Of many hearts will be revealed, so that they may be revealed. And that word is unveiled, same as the word apocalypse. This, uh, they will be unveiled. You know, um, it is interesting to me that that the Blessed Mother is so controversial that that when I was in seminary, uh, devotion to the Blessed Mother was actively discouraged. And you could get tossed out of the seminary for saying the rosary too much. It really happened. Uh, that that somehow that hatred for the Church of of the Ages was manifested in that uh, irreverence to our Blessed Mother. And I am so oh I'm gonna now now I'm gossiping. I am so grateful uh, for Father Jim Presta, who was a rector in the seminary. He brought back. Uh, Marian devotion uh, 
to the seminary. He has a great love for the Blessed Mother, and uh, um, he brought that back. He, he en- enriched the Presbyterian of Chicago by saying that he didn't really care. He was gonna. He loved the Blessed Mother, and he thought his seminarian should. So uh, uh, I think that this is exactly what has happened throughout the ages, that the, the arguments, the, 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 the contorted reasonings, the dialogismoi of many hearts is revealed. All right, let's go to phone calls. Ahoy! Who we got? Who we got? I, oh, I got a board. I can actually look at that, but I can't see. <laughs> Dustin. Dustin from from where, Michigan? Yeah, okay. Dustin from Tustin? Okay. Dustin, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good. What can I do for you? Um, what, what, what? Thank you for taking my call, first of all. Happy to um, do so. What is the correct Bible to use as Catholic? Oh, good grief. You know, there are a lot of fine translations of the Scripture, but you're always going to get a Scripture. Uh, we use, oh gosh, I, I, we use the New American at Mass. That's a good one to start with because, well, it's the readings you're going to hear uh, at Mass. It's, I don't think it's always the best translation. It's, it's gotten better. Um, I, I think the... Um, uh, the Navarre Bible is a very good one. Uh, what's another good one? There, there are all the RSV. There, you know, I remember an old Pentecostal preacher who said, "You get a Bible, you mark it up. If your Bible's uh, too good to mark up, then get one that isn't too good. And when you've read the whole thing and marked it up and annotated it in the side, put it on the shelf and get another translation." So it's very interesting to compare translations. Uh, but those are all good, good starters. Um, uh, Dewey Reams is the very traditional one, but that's written in a language that has become archaic. Um, so, you know, I, it's, it's fun to read it. Uh, so does that help? Does that answer your question, Dustin? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I have a, a New Jerusalem Bible, too. New Jerusalem. You know, the, the, I like the, the, the translation in the New Jerusalem Bible— I like the notes in the in just the Jerusalem Bible, and I don't know if that's even in print anymore. I have a, that's uh, it's the New Jerusalem Bible is fine too. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's good. But then actually the notes in the Old Jerusalem Bible are I think better, more interesting. So yeah, that'll do. Does that help? Uh, yes, and as for wine, try Shalom. It's a very very good sweet wine if you like sweet wine. <laughs> well, <laughs> within reason, I I. I, one should be moderate. <laughs> if wine tastes too right? much like soda pop, one drinks too much of it. <laughs> so, at any rate, <laughs> right? okay, Dustin. God bless. Thanks. Who we got yeah. now? Deborah. Deborah from Green Bay. Are you with us? Yes, I am, Father. Good. What can I do for you? I have a grammatical question for oh, you because oh. you do that very well. I like grammar. In this, <laughs> yes. In so do I. In this reading today of. Um, Timothy, third chapter, down on the last verse, the 16th verse, where you were talking about today, where it's referring to God. And in the translation I have, it says, who was manifested mm-hmm. in the flesh. But the comments say that many translations uh, translated as which are manifested in the flesh. And that no. reminds me of the, the people who say the Our Father, and they say which art which in, heaven. in heaven. So yeah. as a grammarian... Why do people use which when they're talking about a person? It's archaic. Which person are you talking about? It's just archaic. It's it's uh, it's what they would have used 
um, who was uh, more exclusively an interrogative and, and which was the relative, a, a sort of inclusive relative pronoun. Uh, but we don't do that anymore. It does sound funny. And the word in Greek is, is actually he who. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me pull it up here. Where did I put the Greek translation? There's got to be, you know, okay. Let me look. It's, um, it's hos, or hos, rather, with the, with the, the omicron. And that, that's he who. It's, it's masculine and so clearly refers to Christ. It's, that's the relative pronoun. Uh, hos is masculine, he is feminine, and ta is, ha is neuter. So, yeah, that's why. Does that answer the question? Yes, it does. So, but, and again, it just goes back to the Our Father, which art in heaven. Yeah. That's just because it's archaic. To it's me, it archaic. Just sounds so, it so ungrammatical. Yes, it, it's archaic. Uh, um, uh, the woman which entered, it does sound ungrammatical to us, but it, I think it is, it's kind of King Jamesy. Uh, so oh, there okay. you go. All, All right. right, which I think is lovely language, Perfect. but ununderstandable. Well, thanks for calling in. So who we got now? Voice in my head, Brian from California. Hi, Father Simon. Thank you for taking my call. Glad uh, to. I wanted to talk talk to you. You had mentioned about liturgical abuses. Um, I went to Mass today at uh, my local parish, mm-hmm. and um, the priest w- um, had us say the Eucharistic doxology prayer with him, oh, that through him, grief. with him, in him. Is that is that a liturgical error? Yes. Or abuse? <laughs> it is a liturgical abuse, because uh, it's going back to that misunderstanding of the priesthood of all believers, the, the Reformation canard that reared its ugly head again in uh, uh, in the '60s. That that uh, well, all of us are really priests. All of us are sacrificers, uh, but not all of us are elders. The 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 um, uh, the he's trying to be inclusive in an in a disingenuous way. I remember um, when I was a lad. I actually worked in a paint factory on a truck dock, lifting paint all day long. And uh, um, there was a, um, a foreman who, when this, this, this warehouse, it, it, it would get all jammed up, uh, all these pallets of paint, and the, the foreman would get on himself, would get on the... The, the, the forklift and move the paint around. And I thought that was cool. And I said that to my brother who, who ran a factory um, and he just shook his head and he said, he's the best paid uh, forklift driver in, in Chicago. In other words, if he'd been doing his job, the mess wouldn't happen in the warehouse. And this idea that, that somehow we're all just the same, what makes a clergyman different, big deal. I got a job to do. And you got a job to do as a layperson. And when I ask you to do my job, well, it's just saying a prayer. No, it's very symbolic because you see the priest, you know, I always make the point that at Mass, I put my body, blood, soul, and humanity on the altar as Christ puts his body, blood, soul, and divinity on the altar. And the priest is the first one the first one to sign that covenant. You know, I remember back in the good old days, oh, the pre, you know, when you have a meal or a party, you don't eat first, you serve your guests. So the priest and the deacon and the communion minister should give out communion and then receive communion at the end. 
it ain't my party, and it isn't a party anyway. It is the covenant, the, uh, uh, the new covenant in Christ's blood. It is the unbloody representation of Calvary. And I, by taking communion and putting myself on the altar first, and my job as a priest, as a presbyter, who offers the sacrifice in lieu of the bishop, is to be is to be the first to lift Christ up to the Father, the first to offer himself with Christ, and the first to sign the covenant by receiving uh, the body and blood of the Lord. So that, that disingenuous uh, kind of shallow inclusivity that has become so popular, that's what he was doing. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Um, and if I could just have a, a quick follow-up sure. question, uh, Father Simon. Um, the priest today also was playing um, music um, during the preparation of the gifts on his cell phone. Oh, he wanted uh, to like get people recorded. in a good mood. Yeah. Is that a, a mood music abuse as well? As a... I don't even like yeah. mood music in a restaurant. <laughs> You go to a restaurant now, and the music is, you want to talk to someone, and they got some horrible music blurring at you. The restaurant's about the food. And the general instruction to the Roman Missal says that silence should be observed before the Mass, not mood music. So, uh, you know, that, that, uh, this idea that I got to get in the mood, it's, it's, how old is this guy, may I ask? Um, the priest, he's probably um, maybe in his 60s, I would think. Oh, so he's just a few years younger than I am. So, yeah, he's from the groovy period of Catholicism. <sighs> just my opinion. Uh, be nice to him. Love him. You know, befriend him, and maybe he'll learn something from you. So I hope that helps a little. Oi. <laughs> yes. I'm Thank in one of those so much, moods today. Have we got a, a, it's got to be a quick one. We, we got a call? Teresa from Covina, are you with us, Teresa? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Father. Uh, intention, and I'm not saying it right because I okay. Yeah. Uh, when when Jesus is his uh, body is put into the blood mm-hmm. and we receive it, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Why don't we do this? And I've only experienced it at two different churches in my lifetime, and I'm eighty. Um, you know, it is it is a valid way to receive communion. One of the problems with intinction is a lot of people intinct their own host, and that's that's not good. It's not sanitary, and it's not good liturgy because you receive communion. But the Eastern Church generally intincts, and it is an option for us. Uh, it, it's it's I think one of the reasons we don't do it in the Western Church is it's a little messy. You know, you're always dripping the precious blood all over. In the Eastern Church, they 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 kneel and they hold up a cloth under their chins. It's done with a little bit more uh, reverence and care. Uh, but I think we should probably think of some reverence and care in the liturgy as we have it. And speaking of reverence and care. Drew is coming up, and he's very reverent and very caring. 